How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Christian, and welcome to Liberty After Dark. And boy, do we have a show ready for you guys today. Uh, I think you guys are going to love it. I know for a fact I'm going to love every second of it. We have a very special guest on today, the one and only Patrick Smith. Hello, sir. Boy, do we have a show. That boy. makes me excited. What's the show going to be about? Oh, it's gonna, it's. <laughs> I think we will both come away from the show at least having a good experience, if nothing else. That's my goal. Every every show is to have a, a minimum a good experience. Um, so just some quick introductions for anybody who doesn't know Patrick. Um, sorry if you heard that. My dog has a cone on his head and uh, he decided to try to scratch his ears. So forgive me. Hopefully, the Never apologize. Never apologize for dogs. They are the best of us. Yes. They are amazing creatures. Yeah. Ho hopefully my noise suppression stuff is working so it won't cause any more issues. But um, I love him to death, though. He's he's a sweetheart. But as I was saying to introduction, we'll bring him over. Let's see him. Oh, geez. introduce the dog first. Um, sure. OK. All right. Give me two seconds. I'm going <laughs> to do it. Do it. Do it. See, I'm screwing with his format. This is going to show how professional he actually is. Look at him. He's in a suit and everything. Woo, that's my uh, best friend right there. Hands down. Loyal companion. OK. Now that the important introductions are out of the way, you can get to me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hardly, hardly. Um, I'm everybody loves seeing the dog, so I don't mind bringing Trip on. Uh, they all love him. So, Patrick Smith, 2018 not governor candidate, correct for the state of Texas. Uh, serial entrepreneur, fantastic lover of technology and all things computers, and the host of disenthrall and most recently the anarchist so a quite quite a quite a introduction there um how are you doing today sir i'm i'm quite chilling uh i have uh i've gotten into some new forms of 3d printing that i haven't previously so i've been nerding out on that all day today uh designing some new stuff that i might be selling should I here? I'll just reveal go it right it. now. Yeah, go for it. This is going to be this might be the first physical object we're going to sell to uh, disenthrall people. Hopefully you can see this. This is a fake cell phone that says victimless crimes are not crimes. And it's got, you know, the disenthrall logo on the back and it says lead yourself at the bottom. And so the idea for this is you keep it in your car. And if you live in an area where talking on the phone is, let's say, illegal and people will <laughs> you know, uh, extort you for holding it uh, in your hand while driving. Uh, you have this in your car, and when you get pulled over, you just show this to them. As, oh, is this what you saw me holding? Oh, uh, victimless crimes aren't crimes. And so basically it gets you out of tickets. It's a, it's a way to raise a First Amendment uh, sort of defense to save you a couple hundred bucks. Anyway, so yeah, that's, I've been nerding out on the 3D printers and having, quite, having, having a nice day. Good. I'm I'm glad you? to hear it. That is very, I have also had a very nice day. Um not nearly anything as interesting as uh making some cool stuff on a 3D printer, but uh you know, like I said, things have been going good for my dog, which is always good to hear. Um he'll be off of his meds soon, which is good to know. Uh cuz they have him on some pretty strong stuff, but other than that, it's just been very relaxing prepping for the show. Played played some or was I'm learning the guitar. Uh, actually, it's right here in the background. You probably can't see it on your camera, but um, so yeah, very, very relaxing uh, Zen day, I would say, if you want to put it that way. Uh, Good. Yes. 
Let's continue that. Uh, let's continue that Zen. Of course, of course. So, Patrick, I have heard you get the stories of so many people about their journeys to where they are today, right? No matter what their walk of life or particular philosophy or set of ethics are. But I don't think I've ever heard the story of Patrick Smith coming to philosophy as a whole. That's really what interests me is uh, I like seeing what 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 brings what brought you to where you are today. Do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> I've got you booked for two hours. So whatever you feel like giving me. How about that? Um, I, I'm surprised you haven't heard it. I feel like I've told the story like a thousand times. So I'm sure you're going to have some people in your audience that have heard me say this. Uh, so I'll give the medium version and you can ask questions and I'll expound on areas that you're interested in. So uh, the the short answer is the cops did it. Um. So I am a, I am a young entrepreneur, um, IT sort of whiz kid. Uh, I'm really good at, at um, anything technology. Um, very entrepreneurial minded, very driven to succeed in business. And um, I had set a goal for myself. I'm, I'm skipping a little bit of it, but I set a goal for myself that by the time I was, um, I think it was like 27, I would own a Corvette. It was my dream car. And I was like, you know, I, I, this is a, this is a life goal for me. I want to achieve a level of success enough to be able to purchase and upgrade and track race a Corvette. Um, and I did. I succeeded. I um, got my vet, upgraded it, track raced the hell out of it. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> uh, but I noticed that immediately once I started driving around in this car, as opposed to my old old car, I got all sorts of attention from the pigs that I didn't previously get. And every, this is not surprising. I'm not breaking any news here. Um, but for a, for a person raised, uh, you know, mostly conservative, uh, Republican leaning, you know, these guys are the protectors of everyone. They're the protectors of society. They're the heroes. They're the people that write in to save the day. And now I'm looking at my accounting ledgers month to month and noticing that one of my largest expenses is speeding tickets. and. Uh, you know, just random bullshit, uh, moving violation fines and things like this. And I, and literally there were, there were time, there wasn't a month that went by that I didn't get a ticket. And some months there were three tickets. Like it was a big deal. And I wasn't like hot riding, like an idiot all over, all over the place. Um, it was just, there's something about the flashy. I had race car numbers on the side of the vet. So it was definitely, it attracted attention, but that just sort of upped the contrast on what cops do like i was not driving crazy really at all i was certainly you know speeding occasionally but um <laughs> yeah anyway so uh that was the first kind of thing it started to make me come to terms with the fact that these people that i were taught were the good guys that were the protectors the the only effect they had on my entire life was wholly negative <laughs> like there was no there was in no way were the cops helping me or or you know making my life better. In fact, they were just robbing me over and over. Um, and it all came to a head. I was driving back from South Texas. It's like a nine hour drive or something like that. No, I don't know. 11 hours, nine if you speed. Anyway, um, <laughs> and so I was driving back and I pulled off to get gas. And when I pulled back on the highway, the car's loud. It had racing pipes on it uh, that was like high flow rate 
racing uh, exhaust pipes, no cats or whatever. So it was loud, not obnoxiously loud, but loud. So when I accelerate to get on the highway, it makes noise. Cop hears me, follows me on to the highway. I see him. By this point, look, I had taken steps. I spent like $3,000 on uh, a laser defense system for my car that would fire lasers back at the cops uh lidar guns trying to get my to, to scramble them to stop them from being able to get my uh speed read on them or whatever but anyway so i knew this guy was back there i saw him get on the highway he followed me he followed me for 30 minutes i set my cruise control and just rode and finally I'm, I'm just telling another speeding story at this point but he pulls me over and uh he saunters up um and he said something you know the the gist of the conversation was uh here are three tickets, one for speeding, one for driving too long in the left lane, uh, and one for, um, I don't even remember what it was something nonsensical. Now I'd have, to, I can't even, it's not, it's, I can't, it doesn't come to mind, but it was just something minor and whatever. Um, and he said, you're lucky. I don't choose to write you up for this thing too, which was another BS one. Otherwise, I could take you to jail because all I need is like three or four things and I could take you to jail. You know, you should be grateful to me for, for doing this. And uh, that so then I had, you know, a seven hour drive to seethe about this power trip. This asshole, this this quintessential high school bully is on with his career. And I kind of resolved myself to say, OK, this is now a threat to my life and to my bank account uh, and to my safety. Um, how do I protect myself from the good guys? And so now the wedge is really starting to get driven in uh, into my mind about the police and authority and the government authority and you know the just powers of the consent of the governed. All these phrases that are you know uh, drilled into me from birth in this country are surfacing and breaking down. And um, so I, I actually th that was the first thing that really took me from just being a normie sort of uh, non-thinking, non-political being that was mainly focused on technology and, and entrepreneurship uh, to going to look for, to search for the source of the government's authority over me um, and put me on a journey to find how to protect myself from that authority when it was, as I would have said then, abused these cops are clearly abusing the shit out of it uh, towards me all the time um and so honestly the first the first solution that i came across that would actually work was to become one now i didn't want to um stop being an entrepreneur or leave the it industry so uh that wasn't an option but what i found out was an option is in texas they have something called a voluntary officer a voluntary police officer, not a volunteer. No, it's a, I don't know, some word along the, along those lines where, um, you only work like one or two nights uh, a month and you go through the entire training, you become a fully licensed and empowered and, you know, whatever police officer with all the badges and rights and blah, blah, blah that they get. Uh, but you mainly only work once a month. It's basically like you're on call if there's ever a catastrophe, that kind of thing. I was like, perfect, you know, best of both worlds. <laughs> I can get I can get behind the blue line where I'll finally be safe from these assholes and at the same time actually not have to have that as my day job. 
And uh, so um, the the next part of that was, you know, I, the, the first step of becoming a pig was to uh, go on a ride along uh, with an, with another pig. And so that's what I did. Um, my first day going on a ride along was actually in Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, you know, it was like an eight hour shift or whatever. And uh, I, I, it was one of the most eye opening moments of my entire life. Like, I, I would suggest every human alive, it, it, almost every police department has a policy that, uh, that makes them, re that requires them to allow people to go and ride alongs with their cops. I suggest every single person alive go and do that. It will give you, it, it just, it will tear the blinders off your eyes, man. Uh, I, it was basically me riding around watching somebody fuck with every single person around them that they could possibly find a reason to fuck with for an entire day. And um, I remember there was this one moment where the cop uh, pulled, uh, you know, they, they drive around just searching license plates until they find an excuse to pull somebody over. And, and uh, they pulled over this, um, this lady who had a baby in the car and it was some BS, like it was a non-victim BS offense warrant. It had gone to warrant. It was probably like a missed court date or something like that. And um, he pulls her out of the car and she's crying because she can't afford the ticket that he's about to give her. And she was so uh, emotional that he pulled her out of the car. Um, because I, I guess he just wanted to, you know, escalate the dominate, the dominance of the situation. Cause she was like not cooperating. And so I'm witnessing this from inside the car and it was basically, I, I, I just, I just decided immediately that was it. I didn't even go to uh, another day of trading, another ride along, another anything. I just literally walked away from the program, um, right after that moment, because I just realized this is not me. This is not something I could ever do to people. This is disgusting. And these are the words I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm sitting in the cop car passenger seat, watching this out the front windshield saying, this is vile. This is disgusting. This is inhumane. This is, uh, evil. And, um, well, that is kind of a problem when you're told that, you know, the, the founding fathers designed our country in a just and, and uh, you know, uh, moral way. It's, it's a contradiction and contradictions can't stand. That's one thing I've always known my whole life is that a contradiction does not exist in nature. Um, and so then, then that was really it. I was sort of like forced at that point um, just by my own uh, requirement for logical consistency and rationality to then learn dive into philosophy and um i didn't even know i was diving into philosophy at the time but what i did was is i went back and i read um everything about the founding fathers that i could get my hands on all of the founding fathers writings um i, I basically went looking to try and understand how they designed the system the way they did and where they justified it getting its authority from you know, searching for the answer to the question, where does this authority, where does the, how can this, this pig, you know, yank this woman out of her car and, you know, cost her $200. Uh, where the hell does that come from? Why does no, nobody see that as evil? What am I missing? What am I missing? And, um, 
they didn't have the answers. The founding fathers did not have those answers. They do not provide them. They did not know them. It was all an assumption of the just authority of a government over a given geographical area, which is obviously an insufficient answer. So there must be something else I'm missing. Why would they be assuming this, uh, this involuntary authority? Um, they were assuming it so perfectly that they never even bothered to just state the obvious. Like it was just an assumption that under that was silently included and woven into everything they did. That's unacceptable. Like if I'm if I'm working through, you know, software uh, to figure out how something works and I get to just a line of code that points off into nowhere into some black box. Well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I'm going to need more than a black box if you're going to be able to rule my life and rob me and accost women and their children for BS reasons. Uh, and so then, you, you know, I just kind of then I got kind of nerdy and I got hooked into reading. Um, reading all of the old school Greeks um, and uh, just really learning, uh, learning about how you could elevate ethics to the level of engineering with this power of reason. That's, that's probably the most succinct way I've ever put it. Like I love that ability of humans with their, uh, with the minds that we have sort of evolved to be able to bring ourselves out of a state of nature just by the power of our mind and our ability to reason. And then I discovered some, uh, a few other people, old school Molyneux uh, was one. Um, uh, Judge Napolitano came before Molyneux though. Uh, he wrote a book called It's Dangerous to Be Right When the Government is Wrong. And I remember I was on another road trip and we were listening to the audiobook and it was just one after another after another telling stories of what happened when somebody took the moral high ground, even though it was illegal to do so, and the government punished them anyway. And it just totally just erased any notion that the government is just or derives anything about itself from the consent of the governed. And uh, I mean, the, the rest is kind of history. Like, I, I, I just... I enjoy the topic. I'm a nerd. I'm an engineer. Um, yeah. Any questions? <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, you kind of, I, I had a question brewing, but you kind of answered it there. One of the things that I see a lot is that people will come into voluntarism or libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism or whatever label you want to throw onto yourself, and they will get they will absorb and understand and process and maybe even to an extent adopt the ethics and philosophy, but very rarely do you see someone who dives so fully into everything. And I do think it takes uh, a certain kind of person. Um, just to give the really short version, I told you this before, but I kind of stumbled into all of this almost. Uh, I was a constitutionalist, raised conservative, uh, found some funny libertarian memes. And I was like, I, I enjoy reading. I always have. I've I've been a fan of philosophy for way too long when I was way too young to be reading about philosophy. And uh, once once I started digging into all of this and got into libertarianism, some people uh, actually after I started the show, some people were like, hey, you need to check out a couple of these people. And one of them happened to be you. So it's funny that you listed off your list of people, but uh, you would be on mine if we were to tell the story in reverse uh is one of the that is super who, humbling thank you well yeah <laughs> thanks for telling me no that's I, awesome I, I think it's important uh and it's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on here so bad because you are you're one of those people who 
when you speak about this, you not only have a very clear passion yourself, there are plenty of people on the internet who have a clear passion for what they believe in, no matter what philosophy it is, but someone who can articulate it, understand it and present it in a, in a professional and in a consumable manner is not something you get every day. And uh, I think that's something that we need a lot more of. And that's not to, you know, uh, talk down onto anybody who who may not be the quote unquote caliber or, or however you would want to put it more so just that that's something we should all strive towards. Um, and, and this kind of helps to transition into the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And so we've gotten to the point now in your journey where you have fully, you know, put yourself into the world of the philosophy, but what made you want to take that next step to start teaching other people and to talk about this in an open forum where other people could get involved in the conversation and you could interact with other people like that? Um, a couple, a couple things. Um, my, my stepfather was into video production uh, and I grew up with it. Um, I've always enjoyed, I was, I was hosting a radio show when I was a little kid. A college radio station. Um, I've I've always loved production and video and editing and I did the same thing actually. That's weird. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I had a college radio station as well at one point. <laughs> yes, I, I think you know when we have capacities for things like there's a speech center in your brain, and some people have larger speech centers and other people have smaller ones, and the people that have bigger ones are going to be more prone to enjoy doing things like this. So I probably got one of the bigger ones or whatever, you know. <laughs> so it's just it's just something about um, pr producing content has always been interesting. Even before I was into this, I I had another channel where we did gaming stuff and and three uh, D printing stuff, and um, you know, I've I've always kind of done this. So, um, but really, the, the to answer your question directly, I started disenthrall um, a little bit after my children were uh, born because when you have kids, you're taking on an obligation to them and um, you need to leave them the best world that you can. Uh, and not do that is kind of a dereliction of your duty as a parent, in my opinion. And, um, and also it's just a fun, it's a, it's a new and fun engineering problem. I've always been the type of person that enjoys walking into highly complex problems and, and applying techno finding solutions and applying technology to solve those problems. And there isn't much more of a more complicated problem than, uh, all the humans on the planet. Like how do we, uh, modify or influence the thinking of, of, uh, hundreds of hundreds of millions of individuals? That's a pretty difficult problem. And so um, I enjoyed coming up with rhetorical ways of talking about these issues like you're talking about and, and clear ways to boil things down that will be effective on people. And I think that's going to get to probably something else I suspect you're going to bring up. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, it was a challenge. Uh, it was important to me. It was important for my children's future. Um, I was passionate about the topic. Uh, there wasn't there's a there wasn't enough people making content uh, on the topic. Um, in the way, like every single time I would listen to somebody talk on a subject, I would become agitated and frustrated because I, as they were talking, I was formulating better ways to say the things that they were saying, 
And since nobody else was doing it, well, damn it, I guess I will. <laughs> like, uh, and I started out terribly. The quality was horrible, and and uh, I didn't let it stop me. And I just iterated, and now we have a pretty cool setup going. So, yeah. No, that is that is a really cool story. Um, I always like to hear, you know, how how these things connect. And uh, a lot of times, you'll find that people who make content just so happen to have a passion for making content, regardless of the specific. Uh, niche that they fill uh i did want to you know before we kind of move on maybe into more of the meat of the show i wanted to maybe talk about some of the things that have changed for you since the last time you were on uh you know like uh, adopting anarchast how that's kind of influenced you and in some of the work that you do and uh, just kind of how you've grown over this last year since anarchast um That's a complicated topic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it felt like a cheat code uh, to be handed an audience an order of magnitude larger than the one that I had earned so far in the free market. So are you saying... I almost, was at, I, oh, sorry. Um, are you saying almost like an imposter syndrome kind of thing? No. Okay. Um Maybe. Uh, there's a there's a part of um, Atlas Shrugged where um, Antonio or um, Dean Conia uh, does a rant about money in the middle of a party. I don't know if you know the scene. I did a book club episode of it, reading it on my channel because it was so impactful on me. The, the book was impactful. Like, I, I don't care that objectivists are wrong on some core core fundamentals. Atlas Shrugged. Uh, continues to change and affect my life. Ayn Rand's work is amazing. And one of the parts in the book is the answer to your question. In that, he talks about money and how people that don't deserve their money uh, won't have it with them for very long. And people that do know how to control it instead of it controlling them or instead of it destroying them. Um, and so I was worried that I had been... Um, like I hadn't earned a 55,000 subscriber channel. So I was worried that I wouldn't be able to keep it. You know, that it, you know, I wouldn't, I wasn't worth it yet. Does that make, so maybe that is an imposter syndrome, but it's kind of, I, I was thinking of it in terms of Ayn Rand and money and deserving it. Like when I, when I'm ready for a 55,000 audience, I will have a 55,000 audience. And I had not, I had not earned that yet. So I was, I was self, I was trepidatious, let's say about it. Um, <laughs> Also, the audience style, way different from me and my style. And uh, I was worried that that was going to just cause it to crash and burn. Um, because I'm more of like the nerdy analytical engineering philosopher type. And Jeff was more of the sort of uh, easy go along, chill. Um, doesn't really get contentious much ever in his uh, discussions with guests. Um, talks about topics that. I find totally irrational. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, and I'm still a little worried. It's, we're coming up on a year now. I'm still a little worried that, you know, one day the audience is going to discover <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the same as Jeff and, you know, the channel's going to drop to 3,000 subs. And it's just basically going to be all the disenthrall people are going to be also subscribed to Intercast. That's not going to happen. I'm being irrational, but yeah. Uh, that's, that's something that I had in my mind. I talked with Case and my producer a lot about this before we did it. And um, 
I was like, look, I, I cannot nor will I be anything other than myself. No matter what I do, I will either succeed on my merits or fail on them. And I'm not going to try and emulate Jeff or change my style. And and I'm and I'm happy with that. I've, I've been enjoying it. Also, the anarchist thing happened um, in the middle of my daughter's cancer treatment. Which was, I mean, the whole thing's kind of a blur. So I, I don't have too many specific memories, honestly. I've just been um, heads down focused on, I wanted one episode a week. I wanted one interview a week. And there's been a couple times where that hasn't happened and a couple other weeks where I had two interviews in a week or three. So it's kind of balanced out. Um, finding guests is, uh, it is the worst part of that channel. Like, um there's this weird supply and demand. Th- I'm just rambling, so interrupt me if no, you want to change the topic. But I'm very interested. There's this supply and demand thing with guests that works exactly the same way as when I'm competing in the marketplace to hire employees. Uh, the ones that you want are impossible to get, and the ones that you don't want are spamming you and beating down your door 24 hours a day, seven <laughs> days a week. Uh and no insult to anybody that I haven't responded to. They're going to assume I'm talking about them. I'm probably not. But um, yeah, that that really is what it is. The, the guests that I'm really passionate about getting and talking to are are impossible to even get a hold of because the people that are in demand are having their doors beat down. That's the other side of the supply and demand, right? So um, yeah, that's that's been interesting. Other than that, though, like I've had the technology on lock, so it really hasn't been that much of a change in terms of like anything else that I've done. I mean, we, we've got the tech, we've got the video, we've, we're good. So that's been nice. I just, I love having conversations with people. Like, so it was right up my alley. Oh, you want you want a new channel where your primary goal is to have conversations with anarchists? Well, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, and it is a different, for anybody who, for some reason maybe subscribe to one and not the other i'd highly recommend following both because it it is a different formula you know there are a lot more um well i'll say eclectic guests but not in a bad way the you know interesting people to talk to and to listen to and uh i would i would almost go as far as to say is it has almost more like a like a niche joe rogan vibe is that you never really know who's gonna come on or what they're gonna say and that can be very interesting at times. So uh, definitely fun uh, show to check out. So I think this an is... An example... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go an, ahead. An example, a great example of the difference in types of, of me versus Jeff and the old audience or the audience is the recent um, Macy Tomlin interview that I did. She is such a different type of human. Yes. And that's not in any way meant to be insulting... Uh, at all it's just a description of what it she is extremely different from me uh in everything (laughs) pretty much like she lives her life looking through goggles that have never been anywhere near my face (laughs) and uh i i understand very little about the way she does things why she does them and what she thinks about them and um and you'll see me sort of work through having that kind of guest on the show where I'm trying to keep it grounded in some sort of reason, but also explore the person. I think that was a a great, that was a test of my interviewing skills. Let's just put it that way. That was neat. I enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah. It was a very good one. I was there for that actually. Um, 
she she almost convinced me to go to uh, Anar- Anarchapoco and uh, just just to do her little spiritual journey just to see what it was about. Almost. I was this close, but uh unfortunately You decided against it? Why? I did. Uh well, we've got Float Fest is going on right near me and I'm going to go uh, yes. volunteer and help with that. Uh by the way, Float Fest uh, March 8th through 11th, be there or be square. And uh I would literally be there uh if I wasn't part of the uh Anarchapoco live stream. So. Yes, I was going to say we're they're an official uh re streamer for Anarchapoco so we will be able to see Patrick when he does his interviews, which I was going to get to that stuff t- later, but we'll make sure to bring it up at the end again. Uh but since we're on the topic of Anarchast and we're kind of transitioning away from the introduction, you had a guest on very recently, uh one Mr. uh Hotep Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and towards the end, you know, very, overall, very interesting conversation. Um, man has a very, very interesting perspective on life. Uh, good episode. But towards the end, he he made a couple of statements that I think kind of uh, will help focus this next part of the conversation a little about terminology, for lack of a better word, or using, to be direct, voluntarist versus anarchist, right? And this is uh-huh. something that... Uh, you know, me and my audience care about quite a bit because after, you know, deciding when I was going to a- adopt, I guess, the the name voluntarist, I did so very intentionally, not anarchist or anarcho-capitalist. So uh, I kind of wanted to have a conversation with you just about branding, essentially, and to talk about, you know, these three different fields that I would say would be the closest to describing our particular set of ethics and philosophy, that being anarchist anarcho-capitalist and voluntarist and uh where you kind of fall in these camps or if you feel like it's a moot point whatever your opinions are on the topic <laughs> i have a few ah, by good. a few i mean a lot good. So, um let's see where do you want to begin um what's a good place to begin which one do you prefer to the go an- by and why how about that um so I am a, I, I, it is impossible for me to be that which I'm not. And what I am is um, a philosophy nerd, which means that we have to talk about language first, which means that we have to um, point out that words are nothing more than labels and symbols used to communicate concepts from my brain into your brain. And so to be religious about which symbols we use to communicate the concepts um, is kind of a waste of time in my mind. Like if I, if you only speak Hindi and I choose to use the word anarchist and speak English, I am communicating completely ineffectively. Uh, And it's silly for me to be, you know, bound to certain words or to a certain language um, for emotional reasons, I suppose. Uh, I need to communicate in Hindi if I want to communicate my concepts to you, right? Um, So... I guess the the short answer, long answer is uh, time and place. So if I'm talking one-on-one face-to-face with somebody that actually is curious about my positions and thoughts on things, uh, like if they're, especially if they're older, uh, if they're like boomer con, if they're um, just generally more offendable, voluntarist will probably be what I call myself because I'm trying to speak a language that will get my ideas into their brain uh, through the least barriers. 
Um, but also there's merit and there are people that will be shook up when you use abrasive terms and languages and, and, and the shaking up will get your concepts into their brain better than if you'd pussyfooted it. And so, uh, to those people in person, it would probably be anarchist, anarcho-capitalist, um, anarcho-capitalist specifically for the lefties, because they're just basic, look, like I've been doing this a lot of years and it, and I'm only speaking for myself. Uh, I have been utterly in, in competence to, uh, wake any lefties up ever. Now, what I want to say from an emotional standpoint is it, they are hopeless and we need to stop wasting our time on them. But I know that that's just me sort of projecting my lack of success onto everyone around me. So what I've kind of learned is that I need to stop wasting my time on them because I'm not good at that. Um, I'm good at talking to people that are concerned with an objective moral framework. And that is not the left. The left, especially like uh, postmodernist, uh, Marxist, um, you know, the, the whole SJW infiltration of that side of the political spectrum is all based on subjective uh, ethical frameworks. And I cannot, I did a video recently speaking to conservatives. I was channeling my old conservative self talking to them. That was one of the most successful videos I've ever made in terms of reach and the number of uh, non voluntarists that actually responded to the message. I tried for seven days straight and I don't, and I'm not just being hyperbolic. I spent an hour and a half or so of my planning time each day for about seven days trying to rewrite that script to talk to the left. And I failed for about an hour and a half, seven days in a row. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, that is not me. And I'm done wasting, like, I'm done wasting my time with it. And, uh, and then Hotep made a great point in that interview where he's like, uh, you know, just take the term, take the term back and, and sort of use their rage as fuel, uh, to extend the reach of your social media posts. And that made me shift my paradigm. Normally it had been a, you know, Talk to the talk to everyone that needs um, you know to be pussyfooted with voluntarists and talk to everybody that needs to be shook up with you know harsher, more jarring terms. But it it made me put a wedge in. Okay, this is how I need to be using social media specifically, differently. If I'm in front of a person, then my old rules apply. If I'm on social media, unless I have just found the one in 20,000 that is actually genuine on social media, not just there to pound keyboards, then it's the wrong strategy. You need to just, you need to incorporate some element of edginess to get the additional reach to find the one in 20,000 people that you're not going to find making milk toast polite posts. And uh, I've been trying that since that interview and my Twitter, look, I'm not exaggerating. I had like 350 on Twitter. And I think after, a, since that interview, what a week, less than a week ago, yep. I'm almost to 700. So, you know, I, I did the Twitter thing for a year, my way, and I did it this new way for a week and doubled up and it's continuing. It's, it's not slowing down. Um, the ability to use the commies as fuel to extend the reach of a post. 
one of the most obvious and yet totally surprising things I've ever th thought about. And it totally works. And it also feels great. It's like, <laughs> feed me your rage, you, you know, idiot internet citizens or whatever. <laughs> Just, you know, bring it on. And you ignore it a lot easier. Um, also, I don't know if he made this point or if I did in that interview. But the conclusion that I came to, whoever's fault it was, mine or his, was that it's kind of retarded that we have been making space for the non-anarchists by changing our language. Like, oh, the the commies, they they use they call themselves anarchists, and everybody thinks that, you know, obviously commies are terrible thing, terrible creatures or whatever. So we need to distance ourselves from the commies. Um, why? Why not not why do we need to distance ourselves, but why do we need to let them have that word? I'm kind of done with that. I'm done making space for people that hate me and want me dead if I rent out my bedroom. Like that's that's dumb. I'm taking that word. I'm going to take it and I'm gonna own it. And when they, you know, freak out and whine and and start crying in my comments, good, you're fueling my posts. Bring it on. Um also. If you, I can keep going. I told you I had a lot of thoughts. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I am, I'm loving every second of it. Just a wellspring. Um, also, uh, there was a parallel, and I was going to do my own show on this, so I'm kind of burning the content. So consider this my next show. Um, Rothbard wrote an article. This is another one of the ones that I did in uh, the book club on Disenthrall uh, called something like the case for radical idealism. I think it was, I'm probably screwing that up. I can search for it. Um, it's one of the, or it's one of the first book club entries anyway. So Rothbard analyzed the left and the left's activism style and their style of making political change in the world. And he discovered because it is pretty much unarguable that the left has not succeeded over the past 150 years in uh, almost completely, with very few exceptions, moving the culture and the laws and people's opinions in a leftward direction. In many good ways, but also in many terrible ways. But the way the specific things are unimportant to the discussion, the strategy, the, the question is, what was the strategy that they utilized to actually pull the culture in their direction? And he talks about it in this article. And he talks about, um, I haven't read it in a while, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was basically a few things. It was one, number one, always advocate for the 100% end goal. Never advocate for baby steps. Always say, I want the slaves freed now. Not tomorrow, not some of them, not state by state, city by city, not over a certain age. No, all of them free now. And then the other side will come at you and try and negotiate and then try and walk, you know, make you take baby steps down or uh, away from that end goal. And that's when you get the, the efficacious um, compromises. So, you know, if you demand X freedom now today and they say, well, how about we just lower taxes a little bit? You're like, I, you know, I demand taxes end today because that's the end goal. And they come back with, OK, well, we'll lower your taxes by one percent. Yes, accepted. I accept that compromise tomorrow. Now I want all the taxes gone today. Oh, okay. Well, how about we, you know, lower the cost of registering your car? Yes. Accepted. Agreed. 
I'll take that compromise. Thank you. Next day. I want all the taxes gone today. Uh, and it's <laughs> relentless and they never stop. And they accept every compromise that doesn't, that doesn't contradict their principles along the way. They take every compromise that they're offered along the way. As long as it doesn't compromise, as long as it doesn't go anywhere, even a little bit back in the other direction. And that was kind of like the second or third rule was that you always advocate the end goal. You accept any compromise as long as that compromise doesn't in any way contradict your core principles. Um, and so I kind of, the reason why I brought all that up was to kind of parallel it to how we interact with the world, especially on social media. I'm going to advocate loudly for the end goal. And then uh, 60% of the people are going to ignore me because I'm you know, using extreme language. 30% uh, of the people are going to freak out and cry in my comments and extend the reach of my posts. Uh, and then maybe 1% or 10% are going to, it's going to affect them. It's going to bounce off their brain and leave a little ding that you know, it otherwise wouldn't have hit them because I was, you know, speaking about voluntarism, a word that no one knows about and, you know, using language that wasn't extreme enough to get shared anywhere, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, that's the parallel I saw in my mind. I don't know how valid that is yet. These are all fresh thoughts for me. But anyway, so yes, um, I am an anarchist. I am an anarcho-capitalist. Only mainly when I'm talking in forums where commies will get triggered by the word. Otherwise, I'm an anarchist. If there's commies in the room, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Bring, bring on your tears. I will drink them and put them in the gas tank of my social media engine uh, to drive even farther. And if I'm talking in person, one-on-one uh, -on -one with somebody that I think is actually worth my time, um, I may not even need to say the word voluntarist. I may just say, look, I want all of your relationships in your entire life to be voluntary. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk in very chill, normal terms and not just be edgelording. Edgelording is for social media. That's what it's for. Like this guy nailed it. Um, Hotep Jesus nailed it. It's like a, a laboratory. And all, these companies have all of these humans in their laboratory and they experiment on them and they, they, they try, they test regulations on them. They test manipulating them with, you know, uh, algorithms for their search results and what posts they see in their feed. And, uh, and it's a powerful thing to take yourself out of the mindset of being just another social media user and turning it into, okay, I'm going to use, I'm going to experiment on these people too. And that's what I've been doing the past week. I've just been making pretty edgy posts that I would have never made before. Like I would have never said something like, Oh, what was, what was one of them? Um, Anarcho-capitalism is the only, only anarchy. Oh, only anarchy. No, no, I said it is the only anarchism. The, the, the only way was the other one. Oh, My new yeah. experiment was anarcho-capitalism is the only anarchism. Uh, again, it's got that edginess that's going to trigger the commies and a bunch of other hyphenated anarcho-whatevers. Um, I think it's true, and I can defend the position. Uh, and um, I'm just experimenting to see like how it's going to hit people it reveals terrible people like that. I wouldn't have known were there. Like there are people in the comments of these posts that are just really mean, vicious, terrible, ignorant, irrational, emotional people. And it's highlighting them for me. And then I've had a few where, um, you know, they'll message me privately and we'll have good conversations. Okay. I've rambled enough. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Like I said, I'm loving every second of it. 
Uh, would it be fair that this is kind of in the same vein, and you brought this up the last time uh, you were on the show, of, of sort of like your policy on like open carrying, more to expose people to the fact that this is a, a thing and this is how it is. Uh, you know, I can I can carry and, and not be a threat to you. I can be an anarchist and not be a left wing commie sort of thing. I, and I, I, I think it's fair to say, right, that those are kind of in the same vein of uh, social positionings, we could say. Yeah, if you're quiet. You will never change anything. No one will see you. You're invisible. Um, you can be for gun rights all day long and no one will know and no one will care and you will have no impact on anyone. Or you can open carry your pistol and you're going to freak a few people out. You're going to be ignored by a few people and a few people are going to be like, huh, well, what's wrong with that? I never thought about it like, that. you know, you're either going to be invisible or you're going to have an effect on the world and you don't have an effect by being the silent type. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I think I think I understand more now the way, especially once you vocalize it like this, the the angle that you're coming at this from, because I, I did agree even during the episode, I agreed that like just from a marketing perspective, I think using the term anarchy, like you said, to generate the buzz, because, it, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think personally, I've kind of stayed away from it because uh, you've said before as well that uh, language is a lossy, lossy compression algorithm, right? And I, I lossy I, thought compression algorithm. Yeah. Thought, there it is. Thought compression algorithm. And I love specificity and language as much as possible because I feel like it makes for clearer communication. Right. And so when someone comes at me with what is typically a valid case, so like the term anarchy was a bunch of French dudes, you know, they didn't invent the word, but political philosophy of anarchy was a bunch of commies in, in France who got together and wrote a bunch of books and they just happened to be the ones to take the term and make it into their political philosophy first. And so from my perspective, it was always kind of like a, okay, whatever, have your word. I, there's something bigger going on here that I don't, you know, I, I don't care so much about the word anarchy as much as it is the ethics behind it. But I think in having this conversation, like you said, there's almost like a duality to this was what I'm seeing now is that there's the face where you're out there pissing people off, abusing the algorithm for a good cause to get the word out. And then there's the, okay, now let's hit the books. Like you want to get more specific. You want to find all the information. There's it's a, it's an ethical school of thought based off of first principles, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think that's, that's a very enlightening way of how to utilize the terms effectively, which is something I'm always trying to do. Um, because there was a time where I just kind of threw it around, you know, I was like, oh, one day I'm an anarchist, one day I'm an ANCAP, one day I'm a volunteer. I, I don't care. Well, call me whatever you want. Cause at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the ideas were what mattered to me. The philosophy was what mattered to me. So I think having a almost utilitarian, uh, outlook on how can we make these words work for us instead of just being a descriptor is a very, is a very empowering way of looking at how to use the language. Yeah, use, thinking of language as a, uh, as a tool, as a mere tool, not as something that has its own objective meanings and objective baggage based on etymologies and how it was used a thousand years ago in ancient Greece. Like, you know, um, that's all interesting. Um, but I think if we think of it more neutrally as a tool, 
and you know, how best can we utilize this hammer or this wrench um, to have the effect on the world that we want is the way to do it. And certain times, anarchist is good. Certain times, anarcho-capitalist is good. Certain times, voluntarist, voluntarist is good. Um, I'm not religious anymore. I used to be. I, I've switched several times, and you followed me before, you know, this Hotep thing where I was making the case for voluntarist and kind of putting away the anarchist term. And then I think before that, like when I was a young anarchist, I was more edgy about it just because I was sort of stretching my uh, stretching my muscles that I didn't know I had previously, you know, telling people I was an <laughs> anarchist. Um, and I think that, again, is that's another point of insight, is that you're going to have humans that are at all different stages of their uh, political journey. And so different words are going to work on them at different times. And um, that's fine. I think this is a good time to transition into uh, a topic that you requested. I was going to bring it up uh, regardless, but uh, so for those of you who don't know, I am a, a college slave as a uh, hotep Jesus would probably put it. And uh, I'm, you know, uh, I, I ran <laughs> I into- I love the story. Oh yeah. So- Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> if, if for those of you who can't see it, uh, Patrick made a background for supporters of Disenthrall, uh, and it's right here. It's an animated background. It looks great. I love Can it. Can you bring me up full? Let me see. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. There you go. Yoink. We're gonna do it like this. And so right here, it's lockdowns or economic terrorism. It's got all the supporters underneath and and the Disenthrall logo up top. Uh, it's animated. It looks great. Uh, I personally love it. And I, I didn't didn't even think anything about it, and I was in one of my. You got you got you got the animated background because you're a supporter, by the way. Hint hint to everybody else that would like a nice background. Yes, <clears throat> go ahead. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to be a supporter for Disenthrall. But uh, so I was in my ethics class because uh, I'm a philosophy minor because I wanted a a useful degree that could get me money. So I didn't become a philosophy major. Otherwise, I would have. Um, and good decision. Yeah. So. And in my ethics class, uh, it's the first week. We basically don't don't know each other at all. It's my lab, so I'm meeting most of these people for the first time through Zoom, which is just a terrible schooling environment. Oh my gosh! But I was elected to be the one since I talked too much on Zoom to present uh, a a PowerPoint on why plagiarism is bad. And you know, I've done this stuff before. This is my first rodeo, and here I am, you know, just getting on my computer, whatever. I, I click screen share, desktop pops up. I'm like, sweet. Open up the PowerPoint file, click the present. And then immediately someone was like, hold up. What, what did your background say? And I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm, I kind of like freeze for a second. <laughs> and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, shit. Uh, you know, it's just, it's something, you know, it's from, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Okay. Okay. PowerPoint. And then someone was like, did that say economic lockdowns are terrorism? How? What? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, shit. Here we go. And from there. Okay. So now yeah. I want I want the story like in detail. I, I'm going to like relish every moment of this. <laughs> what so happened when they saw lockdowns are economic terrorism? This is a philosophy class, which could not be more perfect. <laughs> specifically in <laughs> ethics class it's not like it was a history class or it's you know this is literally just about learning how to think about ethics ethics in society it's the name of the course 
uh, I was like, man, I'm going to kill this course. And so far I have been, but um, it's so zoom, you know, everybody's cameras are on or whatever. And like multiple jaws are dropped. A couple of people are like leaning back in their chair. One dude's laughing. He's like, Oh, this dude's about to get burned. You know, I can, I could see it in his camera. And you know, I, I'm already going through like, all right, so what are, what are the possible things that could happen here? Okay. Well, I'm not going to like get expelled or anything like that. So I don't have to worry about losing money or whatever. And, and then finally, my one person asked me a question. It was a, a woman and, and she kind of reiterated what the other dude said. And she was like, no, seriously, like what, what is this? Like, why do you have this? Like, are you talking about the COVID lockdowns? And I, you know, I said, yeah, this is this is the, about the COVID-19 lockdowns and how they're oppressing people who have done nothing to deserve the strong arm of the government. And then that, you know, everybody's eyes turned into saucers. And another person asked me a question and the lab instructor was like, OK, so this is a great opportunity. And I think this was really cool of him to do. So I'm going to give him kudos, even though I think I scared him a little. He said, all right, this is a great opportunity to practice just having a, a cordial conversation with people about things that you may not agree with. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that me, dude, that guy earned his paycheck. I was afraid you were going to get shouted down or told to shut no. up. Or That's awesome. No, that's awesome. That is that is to his credit. That's good. 100%. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I fully I respect. I actually had an email chain with him afterwards about, you know, like. Hey, sorry, I derailed your class. And he was like, you know what, man? Like, mm. I don't get you, but I'm I'm glad we had the the ability to have the conversation. And I was like, man, you're actually kind of cool. But and, and it was self-aware of you. Kudos to you. It was self-aware of you to apologize for derailing a class. Like, I don't know many people would have realized and thought to apologize. Anyway, I keep interrupting. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Yeah, there were just some people who were very visibly annoyed with me basically becoming an instructor for 20 minutes. But uh you know, so it, it, I, I tried to start this like I would a nor like because these people are normies. Most of these people are 18, yep. 19, 20. They, you know, they're like, man, I read Plato's Apology once. I'm a full full philosopher now. Cool. And, you know, they don't really know the first thing. A about full, a full philosopher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I tried to butcher the word without making it sound like I was saying it wrong. But yeah, yeah, they. And, and so I, I tried to just come at it as, as like genuine as possible. And I was, I knew going into this, I was like, there's not a single question that I won't answer unless they're just being an asshole. So, you know, I, I explained, okay, these are, this is economic terrorism because, you know, these people are being unjustly persecuted by the government for something that isn't their fault. And they never can blah, 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 blah. And I just gave like the, the quick dump. And then someone said, okay, well, how, how is the government abusing some sort of authority over them? Like we all live in a nation. And I was like, well, nobody consented to these, especially not the business owners or the ones who are, are running out of food and uh, have to close down now because of this. None of these people consented to the rules, to the shutdowns. And someone said, um, you know, the next thing where I got a lot of cliches after that, things that you hear all the time, like on the internet, but uh, you know, actually hearing people speak them was interesting. And one of them was, uh, well, it's for the greater good, right? Like we have to shut down. Like, of course, people might lose their businesses and someone might, you know, suffer horribly financially from this. But, you know, it's for the greater good of all of us. And uh, them bitch ass roads. <laughs> Fuck them hoe ass roads, man. Exactly. 
Uh, did you a, get the roads? Did you get the roads? Yes, I did get the roads. Um, I got a Good. little bit of the dancing monkey too at the very beginning, but uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I mean no, I meant from your classmates. Did you get the what about the roads? No, I I didn't get I didn't get the roads. Oh. We stayed pretty on topic okay. about the whole econ- the lockdowns thing. We didn't really go f- as far as the roads. Um, was the professor uh, moderating or was it just a free forum, like the whole class against you? Yeah, it was pretty much just the whole class against me. There wasn't really any moderation. I think he he's he's like a he's an esthetician uh, who's like a self-proclaimed Marxist. So I don't think he had any uh, any beyond just being a decent human being. I don't think he had any uh, willingness to support me. So. Uh, I, but he did fine. You know, nobody was like extremely rude or anything. Um, there were a couple people who were like, oh, you're, you're talking about like a utopia, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it could never happen. And I was like, OK, well, I mean, we are all physically capable of being ethical. So next, please. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it, it, and again, you know, there's like 20 something people in this class and it seemed like everybody had questions. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I could I, if I had come in prepared, I could have done a way better job. There were some probably some answers that I gave that either weren't extremely accurate or could have been worded better. Um, but, you know, I did not, I, you know, I was in like a like a like a wife beater in my my um, mm-hmm. my sweatpants. Like, I'm just here, you know, to come to labs so I can get the grade. And. Uh, but one thing that when I left that class and that gave that sigh of relief and I was like, OK, I, I, pl- I pled my case Nobody could like outwardly reject on any like super critical flaws that I made or anything. So I think I did my part at least was that, okay, this is a little bit of an opportunity here because a seed has been planted on this day that can be sown throughout the rest of the eight weeks I have with these people. And I don't have to be nearly as forward or as, as, you know, uh, jarring as I was today. Because I've already done that. That's already out of the way, right? Like they have, they have been, uh, their, their worldview has been kinked just a little bit, at least a couple of them. And if I can mm-hmm. just keep building on that from here on, even if just one person comes out of this class thinking, wow, may- maybe there was something to what that guy was saying, that's 300 billion percent more than I ever would have expected to get out of this class and would have made every dollar I spent on it worth it. And so that's kind of something that, you know, uh, I'm not going to be outwardly trying to convert these people necessarily, but I I just want to do good ethics in this class, in this lab where we have conversations and make my case as much as I can and tend to that seed and nurture it and help people grow. So Mm. that was my big takeaway from the whole thing. Well done. Like, (laughs) good job. You you had an opportunity. You didn't just blow it off. Like you could have totally just be like, "Hey, I don't want to talk about that. Let's get back to our work." You know, you could have you could have buckled under the pressure of being caught off guard. But like the moments where you have to get to people never come when you expect them to. Like they're never on the calendar. There are always these these weird things that happen in, in, out of nowhere, accidentally when you're not. When you're wearing your wife beater and you're not ready to talk about, you know, philosophy from first principles, like this is how it happens. And it sounds like you did a great job. And I never, ever thought that this wallpaper that I made would have had 
any effect on anybody that wasn't like already an uh, an awake disenthralls supporter type it is so it makes me so happy like i i was just smiling the rest of the day when i heard your story that is so cool uh that that is so the question is is it still your wallpaper um yeah of course oh i thought you were asking like <laughs> is it are you like repossessing it from me or something i was like it's, it's no 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 no, no 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 i mean do I know, you still yeah. have it set as your wallpaper for future classes of course why would i change it awesome. now why would i change it now i loved it to begin with just because it caused a little stir whatever you know well it's also cool that your uh professor didn't ask you to change it but it was also to his credit i I would have told him no anyways. So yeah. <laughs> you know, awesome. As, as cool as he is, he doesn't get to say what's on my desktop if it's not obscene. So uh, I didn't violate any True. rules. So it is ridiculous as some of them are, but you know, I, I do think for a long, obviously I like talking about this stuff. I have a show where I just sit here and get in front of the microphone and I talk about philosophizing and, and ethics and why I like them so much. and honestly very few times have i had the opportunity to talk to someone in person and it not just be like end up as like a oh well that's cool i'm I'm not gonna you know like it sounds cool but i'm you know whatever like that's usually as much progress as i make with people um you know they'll be like okay well even smart you know smart intelligent people well everything sounds logically consistent and it all kind of makes sense but uh i like what i got going on over here you know, and it's like, well, what do you do from that point? You know, it's just kind of like the end of the road. I'd say the most progress I've made is probably on my parents. Um, that's another seed I've been sowing for quite some time. But uh, it, so I think this has kind of been like a practicing ground for me. This is super cheesy, but we're coming up on the two year mark for Liberty After Dark. And I was listening through the very first episode. Congratulations. I oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, February 5th, we'll be doing an episode recapping everything we've done since then. But um, and the introductory episode is something I come back to every once in a while, very rarely to ground myself in like, why am I doing this? Because I set like a very it's it's terrible. The audio quality is trash. I'm like, uh, hey, guys, this is Christian with uh, Liberty After Dark. Uh, d don't listen to it unless you want to see the, the mantra behind the show, because when I came into Liberty After Dark, it was not prove minarchism is right at the time or, you know, destroy the libs or anything like that. I said, I am here to talk to interesting people and share what I have learned and grow. Those are the three things that I bring up in that introductory episode. And so, you know, I've had to catch myself a couple of times where I get into this like little, little rut almost where I'm like, oh, cool. I'm an ANCAP now. And then it's like, I'm, I'm officially happy with where I am. And to me, complacency kills for lack of a better word. Uh, and if I'm not outwardly trying to seek new challenges and growing and trying to improve either my platform or what I'm presenting or my personal knowledge base, which, you know, needs more work than I could begin to describe. But that, that to me is something that is very important. And the fact that I have the ability now to test myself in an environment where people will be scrutinizing me very closely, who do not agree with me, who have no reason to agree with anything that I've said, but to give it my best shot anyways, and to learn and grow from that is very important to me. And uh, I'm happy for the opportunity. It's really hard uh, to be in this niche 
niche whatever i never know how to pronounce that word um niche i think it's niche i say niche uh yeah. it's really hard to it's really hard to be in this niche of youtube um there's not a lot of uh subscribers out there to be had and there's not a big audience to be had you're never going to be famous by the time by the time doing this stuff makes someone famous uh the world will already be free and it will be irrelevant. That's how I always look at it. I was joking with, I was joking with Larkin about that. It was like, you know, by, by the time there's money in doing this stuff, it won't need to be done anymore because enough people already agree with it. Um, uh, I, I, if I have any words for you, it's like, don't let that discourage you because um, I don't know, man, like it has a snowball effect and it's a minuscule snowball effect for years and years and years. And then eventually it's just, it, it starts to pay dividends in the form of not, not money, <laughs> but it starts to pay, it starts to pay dividends in the form of um, little messages that people take time out of their day to send you where they're like, Hey, I just want you to know um, you significantly improved my life or, um, you you made me into a voluntarist. You convinced me to no longer be a status. Just little messages like that. They start trickling in slowly at first, but then they you know they start coming a little bit more regularly. It is everything that I've ever wanted. Um, like I and and then you get like the cherry on. I have to brag a little bit without mentioning names because that would be awkward. But um, uh, a big libertarian figure uh, messaged me recently. He's like, dude, I think you're one of the best. Uh, libertarian podcasters out there right now and this is a guy that i i idolize like i didn't even know he knew my name and uh, and so like it takes a while is what i'm trying to say for for your work to feel like it's doing anything or having any effect at all so don't give up don't stop at two years keep doing <laughs> it now, what I'm trying to do now, because you're right, if if you stop changing, it kind of dies. It loses its momentum and energy. Um, what I'm trying to do to keep myself from losing momentum is like, I tried, I've tried twice now on Disenthrall. Um, the first time I tried to do really, really hyper-frequent content was I tried to do a show every single day uh, and just failed miserably um, doing a blog, a vlog, excuse me, a vlog style thing. And uh, then I tried again about six months ago to do daily shows on the news and it just beat me down. Just listening to the, just the garbage fire that is the world right now to talk to people about the terrible things, just like every day having a plan. Okay. Sit down at my workstation. Here's a list of all of this terrible, evil, immoral, uh, human carnage that I'm going to talk about today. Turn the camera on and talk about it. And just say, it, it feels like a pattern. Hey, guess what happened today, guys? Uh, this, this, and this, and this got hurt, killed, messed up, stolen, extorted, regulated. Uh, and that's that's bad. And then turn the camera off. It's, I can't. I can't do that. I can't. And so now I'm trying to find a way to, um, to make more content because it's important. Um, because, because it's not the diatribes. This is another thing I've learned. I... Shut me up if you want to talk about something else. Another thing I've learned is that it's never the diatribes that get shared. It's always the um, in-the-moment discussions of something that is happening in the world in the moment that get shared. So 
like when the the there was the march on the Capitol, and I was just I I had a I was just inspired to write the monologue that I wrote, and like I said, it was one of my most successful videos. It wasn't a well crafted deontological examination of the ethics of the the consent of the governed. Uh, it was just me sort of speaking and ranting about something that everybody was paying attention to at the time. Um, I need to find a way to do more of, maybe not full on like black background, serious heart to heart where I cry <laughs> and shit. Like that's not what I'm talking about, but I just mean like maybe more content like, like that. Maybe where I don't, yeah, anyway, I'm just rambling uh, about my thoughts for my channels. I'm trying to find a way to reach more people. Again, it's an engineering problem. How do we, how do we change all the human brains in the world? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like at the end of the day, uh, as much as I, you know, as much as I may sometimes tell myself like, yeah, I'm just, you know, cataloging my thoughts out here. You know, I'm not broadcasting to nobody. I could write an, I could make an audio journal and do the same thing if I just wanted to keep a record. Um, and I, I do think, you know, there, there is, there's a good point there. Like there, very few of us will outwardly seek out like, man, I really want to listen to an hour and a half conversation on philosophy and ethics and first principles. Like I, love I mean, it. you and I probably yeah. would. <laughs> I love every second of it. I think all of those, I yeah. feel like, you know, I grow from those conversations, but some people, you know, they've got better things to do with their time. And I think, you know, fair enough. And you're right. Like uh, one of the most successful episodes of the the audio version of this show was when I was talking about Iran and, you know, just with my background being, you know, former war slave, you know, I think I had a bit of a lens into this that maybe not other people had. And so being able to talk about these geopolitics in both the terms of at that, you know, a, a fledgling anarchist at that point, and also as someone who has seen more from the ug uglier side was, uh, you know, kind of resonated with people a little bit more as to why we should be cautious about these things. So I, I do think, you know, you make a good point about how if the goal is to reach people, you have to adopt strategies to reach people. You know, you can't just beat your head against a brick wall. Um, sometimes you have to not, you know, not like make disingenuous content. I think your video was extremely genuine to, to Patrick, but, you know, it was definitely an adaptation of what you've done previously into a very targeted, very intentional and well-crafted message, which I think is, is a, it just speaks to the skill as a content creator, honestly, that you were able to do something like that. It, it was, it was not as much skill. Um, it was on a, it was almost like self-therapy. Like it was catharsis that I had never really had before. It was like me role-playing my old self, like you would in a therapist's room, um, working through something that happened in the past. That was me talking to the person I used to be and sort of reconciling that, that um, break in logic that I was talking about when you asked me for my origin story, that break in logic where these are the good guys, they have justified authority, they're abusive and dangerous and vile and evil. This, this is a contradiction. How do we resolve that? 10 years ago, I had no idea. But in that video, it was like my therapy. And it, that was, I, I mean, there's people that don't like me will say everything I do is disingenuous, but I'm telling you that video was everything about that was authentic. Like I even wrote the script and didn't even know how powerful it was going to be until I was reading it. Like it was just, it was, it, I was talking to myself. And so I think that's why it hit people because I was talking to a real person, me, 
from a few years ago. Uh, so I need to need to learn from that. I, I, th- I still think about it. Like when you have something that is successful, it's really important to do a lessons learned and go back and analyze what specifically about that video got it thousands of views instead of hundreds. Uh, what about that video got Republicans in your comments? One of the only times that's happened on the Disenthrall channel, like multiple Republicans saying, huh, I, I'd never thought about consent like that before. A couple of them, they were even like, huh, I withdraw my consent to be governed. Huh. I kind of like that. They said those <laughs> words in my comments. Uh, my mind was blown. That's everything I've ever wanted to do with the Disenthrall channel was accomplished with that video. Ha- I've got to figure out what I did so that I can do more, you know? Yeah. Good. Of course. Yeah. And and just your excitement on it, you know, it just shows that the, the passion is there on, on both sides. Um, and to your comment about haters, um, I think if if you didn't have haters, it would be more of a problem than if you if you did have them, because that means you're if, if people are sticking around enough to uh, to leave negative comments or whatever, dislike the video, then uh, you obviously must be saying something to shake up a little bit of dirt. And if nothing else, um, I'm curious. So you were wanting to talk to me about, um, you know, using words like anarcho-capitalism. Um, you just called yourself a war slave. Yes. And I think that's kind of the exact same thing. It is. So what are your thoughts? Why do you use that term? Why do you find that useful? Um, it, it, I have adopted two different things. Um, one of them is I say I am a former war slave. Um, that's, you know, my way of saying I'm a veteran in certain circumstances. There are obviously cases where, um, I said it at the DMV though that that got quite the reaction. Uh, are you a veteran, sir? Sounds yes. like another story. Uh, it, it's a quicker one. Uh, I just uh, oh, okay. you know DMV people they get crazy people all the time. But you know I was getting a new license. I lost my wallet. I think it was stolen at the gym. But you know whatever. And uh, so I had to get new cards and a new ID and a new license. So the lords will let me carry on their great state. And uh, on. On that one in particular, they asked me, oh, well, uh, are you a veteran? And it says here on the last one. And I was like, yes, uh, I'm, I'm a former war slave. And they, she like looked over her computer at me and was like, so is that a yes? And I was like, yes, I was a former war slave. And I just said the same thing. And she just put veteran on there. But it, it's exactly that. Um, if I am introducing myself to a bunch of normies and I really just don't, because that always triggers people, especially when there are other veterans that are not of my particular bent, it triggers the hell out of them. And um, mm-hmm. so there are times where I will just avoid that. You know, I, uh, I've i never in my one of my classes, I've never said I was a former war slave, uh, though maybe in my ethics class I should have. but. Uh, and it's very intentional usage of language to piss people off because and it's particularly veterans. I think the normies, you know, they're they 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 don't like talking to veterans about like, oh, you shouldn't say that you're disrespecting people who served. And it's like, well, I served. I saw war. I deployed. I was there when we bombed all those people. I was right there. Yeah. Don't don't tell me how to respect or disrespect something that I went through. Yeah. Like, who are they to say that? Yeah. And 
it's it's I think it's mostly targeted at at people who are like in the government work for the government or are other veterans because I something I hate I have grown to hate the the honorable war stories because there's always more to the tale than they let on and you know this is my I you know I have I'm not going to get too far into it, but I have a lot of baggage from what I went through, from what I saw, from what I did. And that is something I will have to live with for the rest of my life. And it's something that I am getting better at as I go on. But I one one of the things that like I hated people in my unit talking about the deployment like, hey, you guys remember when we blew that truck up? And I was like, yeah, it was pretty fucking terrible. Stop talking about it. And I made a lot of people not like me for that but i didn't care because i knew i was leaving at some point anyways at that point that that ship had completely sailed that i would ever stay in and uh you know and being a dissenter in the military as well is a very dangerous line to walk because i was doing i was doing liberty after dark while i was in the military people in my unit knew that i had a podcast where i was actively talking crap about the government and thankfully uh, I always, you know, would include this is not the opinion of the U.S. Air Force or whatever. So it was within my First mm-hmm. Amendment rights to do so. But there were definitely people who talked to me and were like, hey, XYZ person saw this and they don't like what you said. And I was like, well, they can come talk to me about it. But I, I don't I didn't lie. I'm not going to change anything that I said. And yeah, you're making our unit look bad. Something like that, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'd be like, you know, we're the world's greatest Air Force. We're a profession of of individuals with integrity, honesty, and loyalty. And, you know, they have all these all these different things that they throw at you. And so, yeah, and War Slave was one that I didn't initially use, particularly when I was still, like, wallowing in self-pity. Because, like, the last thing I needed was to, like, then be beating myself over the head with the term War Slave, like... Cause I was trying to process through my own stuff at that point. But when I, you know, got into a better place, I, I, I feel, I felt like it got, it got my message across very clearly. Um, it triggered people. It triggers to this day people. And I think that's a powerful one. I have not heard it until you, you just said it. That's, that is a strong word that will get reactions and I love it. You need to use it. And this is what, Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Uh, please. I, I think I was just going to keep rambling on about the same thing. But uh, <laughs> hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed the first part of our talk with Patrick. We're going to have to split this up into, I think, three parts. I'm editing them as, as I'm doing this outro right here. But uh, don't forget to check us out on our social medias and definitely subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. If you like this, there's going to be more coming. Like I said, there's going to be at minimum one more part. I think it's long enough that there's going to have to be two parts just because of file size limitations. But... I appreciate all of you who are listening to the show, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Take it easy.